0: You're listening to Aid Evolved, and I'm your host, Rowena Luke. This season, we're talking to founders, people who are building social enterprises that are improving lives in Africa. Today, we welcome to the show Samuel Okwada. Samuel is the CEO and co founder of Remedial Health. Remedial is a technology company that makes it easier for pharmacies and other healthcare providers to buy and receive quality medicines. Samuel himself is a trained pharmacist, but he also taught himself how to code at the tender age of 14. In 2017, he created Kessington, a company that brought drugs manufactured in India to private markets in Nigeria. When COVID-19 hit, pharmacies started banging on his door, asking him to deliver more commodities to more places in smaller quantities and at lower prices than they'd done before, while still keeping the same costs. Now, this is a pretty impossible demand for any traditional drug distributor, but Samuel knew there was an opportunity here. So he rose to the challenge, building on top of his existing physical drug distribution company to start Remedial, a technology company that facilitates the purchase and distribution of health products. Today, Remedial Health is supporting pharmacies and other medicine providers in getting essential health products to the people that need them. Without further ado, let's dive in. When Samuel got to university, he already knew how to code, so he decided to study pharmacy. This is the compromise he struck with his dad. His dad, being a doctor and a traditional African parent, wanted Sam to study medicine. But Sam wanted something a little more entrepreneurial. Hence the compromise, pharmacy. After graduation, Sam practiced as a pharmacist in the UK for a few years. This is when he really dived into the world of TechCrunch, a news outlet that covers promising technology organizations and how they get funded. And Sam was bitten by the buck. He wanted to start a technology company and in fact, over the years built four different businesses in the software and technology space. And we're not even gonna talk about them on the show. In 2015, he returned to Nigeria with the idea of creating a business here. But the first business he set up was actually a brick and mortar business that had nothing to do with technology. In fact, he was building upon his background and his training as a pharmacist.
1: I started a generic medicine business in 2016.
0: Huh. Like you were actually selling the pharmaceuticals yourself. You were a pharmacist.
1: Yes. So these, these medicines were branded Kessentin, which is my middle name. Oh, interesting. We had like generic medicines like think ciprofloxacin or floxacin, which is like the most popular anti-malaria in Nigeria, in fact, in Africa.
0: And anyone who travels knows Cipro. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, I'll leave it um, at that. <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot of experience using it then. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I found a contract manufacturer in India that would produce these medicines for me. They were registered in Nigeria. So I had about four products at the time. I had to register it with our own version of like the US FDA as is called Nafdac. That took a while to get registered and get registered as a business, get regis- get products registered as well.
0: Yeah. And you were just buying pharmaceuticals and reselling them, you were actually getting them manufactured in India and then yes. selling them. So you actually owned a
1: yeah. good stretch
0: of the supply chain there.
1: Yeah. All of the packaging The design, I pretty much did all of that, got it registered, and then they produce, ship it down in containers to Nigeria, and then I sell to these pharmacies and hospitals. So that was the initial business.
0: Samuel created a drug distribution company called Kessington. Kessington would manufacture generic drugs in India, ship them to Nigeria, and then distribute them to pharmacists and other vendors. For a young man high on the speed and agility of the technology industry, setting up the operations for a brick-and-mortar drug distributor was a reality check. Samuel describes those first few years of setting up the operations of Kessington as some of the hardest
1: years of his career. When we were starting the generic medicine business, now coming back fresh from the UK thinking, hey, we can do all things... No challenge is too big to solve. And uh, I tried to register a company. Now, the registration of a company back then took me about seven months. Seven months. As That's can, a long time. As you can imagine, it was pretty frustrating. Like, guys, yeah. I'm good to go. Like, I'm ready to go. I need this thing registered to just start. <laughs> and it took seven months. And oh, and that not sounds so frustrating that is the normal process or that is the normal timeline for you to get company registered. In the UK, I registered the company. It took pretty much, in fact, I was done in 10, 15 minutes. And then within (laughs) two days, I I got my certificate in the post. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I love how the UK has, it's it's spoiled you and it's given you that thirst for something better. Like, you know, it can be better there. So let's make it better here. In
1: Nigeria. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. So, here the question was okay, why, why should it take so long for company registration to be done? And, and it was just basically inefficiency, government inefficiency, basically.
0: Yeah, the challenge, the challenge you face for sure.
1: You make your submission, and then it's basically just sitting on someone's table for three, four months before it's even worked on.
0: Oh, I hear you. I hear you, Sam. I've I know what you're talking about for sure.
1: <laughs> yes, there was a seven months of company registration. And then when I was done with that, I felt, okay, yes, we're good to go. Let's get these products registered. I had manufacturer on lockdown. I had all my the documents I needed to submit to our regulatory authority. And then it pretty much took two years for the regulatory authority, yes, to come because back. Because you're to providing
0: me. pharmaceuticals.
1: Yes. Right. Now, yeah, that's it a tricky thing. Six, it, it shouldn't take more than six months. Yeah, but again, inefficiencies in, in, in mostly government agencies. It took two years. Now I had invested pretty much all I had made in the UK working as a pharmacist. Oh. Uh-huh. I had I had pretty much put in so prior to that, like prior to returning to Nigeria, I had sold two businesses. Oh, nice. I'd exited two businesses. Wow. So I pretty much piled all of that money into pharmaceuticals. Oh, wow. This is now a big thing that I can do.
0: And all that funding is now gone. (laughs) You spent it over those two
1: years. Oh, yeah. So I I pretty much spent all of the funding getting a manufacturer, getting the documents, getting stuff set. And then I had to wait.
0: That sounds so stressful because you have this idea and you can't even launch. It
1: wasn't even stressful. It was depressing. I think I was already falling into a depressive state at the time. I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't, I was still building stuff and still running like some small software companies. But pretty much what I invested my life's savings at the time into was was not working out.
0: Yeah, you're not making revenue and you're spending and the months roll by.
1: Yes. One of the sad parts was for you to be able to submit your documentation to NAFDAQ, which is the regulatory authority, you Mm -hmm. you needed to have a warehouse on lockdown. That is, you've gotten a place that you're going to use for the business where you're going to store medicines. You've gotten it up to the standard that they want. And then you basically just lock it up and you're waiting. So two years of just a warehouse, locked up, waiting. Oh man. The expenses pretty much coming in monthly.
0: But eventually, after the months and years of waiting, after spending all of his savings on a warehouse that was just gathering dust, Kessington was in business, providing drugs wholesale to the pharmacies and other vendors in Nigeria. At this point, Samuel got to experience firsthand all the ways in which the Nigerian healthcare distribution industry was lagging behind what he experienced in the UK. Through the network of pharmacies that he was resupplying, he developed a deep understanding of all the systems that he'd come to take for granted that just didn't exist in Nigeria.
1: Well, there were a bunch of problems with that business. Yeah, maybe that takes me into the problems that we eventually are now solving with Remedial. In Africa, uh, yeah, unlike in places like in the UK and in the US, let me use the UK as an example. When I was working in a pharmacy in the UK, before returning back to Nigeria, I would typically just open the pharmacy for the day, put on my system, a patient comes in, I type in the details of what the doctor has prescribed, If I need to make any changes in that, I would speak to the doctor, make a change, ETC. But I'll basically type that into the system. It would print out the labels. I'll pick them from the shelf and dispense to the patient. If I was running low, if the shelf was running low for that particular item, it would give me a prompt to say, hey, you only have one left in stock. Do you want to reorder this? And all I have to click is OK. And it goes into a basket. And at the end of the day, I can submit that basket. I just click submit. I don't know where it's going. Yeah. <laughs> nice. But by the next morning, before I get to the pharmacy, there's a delivery driver with stock waiting for me.
0: Oh, that sounds beautiful. That sounds yeah? amazing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now,
0: I each... wish we had that
1: here. <laughs> <laughs> now, if I reorder or if I make an order before 12 p.m. on a given day, The driver comes around 5 p.m. with my delivery. Nice. So what it means is, one, I don't have to worry about how do I get stock for my pharmacy. Two, I don't have to worry about who's giving me the best price. Three, I also don't have to worry about how were these medicines stored? Were they stored properly before they came to me? So I know that they are still effective. And then I don't have to worry about counterfeits that, oh, maybe I'm buying a product that will not work at all. It's a counterfeit of the original. I don't have to worry about it. And then for business purposes as well, when someone comes in with a prescription, even if it's a product I have never seen before, I can order it. And if this person comes before 12 p.m., I know I can tell you, hey, don't worry, come back by 5.36, we would have it in stock for you or come back tomorrow morning, we'll have it in stock for you. So I don't have to lose that business transaction because I don't have something in stock. yeah. And we have quite a few medicines that pharmacies would not hold in their pharmacy at a given time because either they're expensive, they're carcinogenic, etc. Now, back to Nigeria and Africa. What we mostly have, medicine markets. So think of a flea market. These are open-air markets where we have a lot of small distributors selling medicines. These markets, yeah, maybe to the audience, do a search online, Idumota, I-D-U-M-O-T-A, Lagos, Mm. yeah? Mm. And see how chaotic the market looks. Like, you you cannot walk through that market in a straight line. You would have to (laughs) weave through people weave through stuff on the road, weave through um, stores. These are chaotic markets. And this is where medicines are stored. Now, a typical person who is selling in that market is just a small business owner. In most cases, they haven't done or read any medical related or had any medical related degree.
0: Right, because you don't need to in Nigeria to sell a lot of these commodities. In, In Africa, pretty much.
1: In most cases, there are people who haven't gone to school. Yikes. That's kind of scary. They've learned the trade from someone else and are now doing the same thing. These are the typical people who sell in these markets. Yeah. And again, these are, I said, they're small businesses. So typically they would hold maybe 10, max 20 SKUs at a time each.
0: And that means 20 or 30 different products, you know, maybe things related to malaria or things related to like childhood illness as a bundle together.
1: And then in small quantities, because again, yeah. they're small business owners. If, if you yeah. are changing maybe their capital in the business to dollars, it will be somewhere maybe around $30,000, if not mm-hmm. less. So they're small. In a year. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. And you have to sell to these people in the markets and, Pharmacies, hospitals then have to buy from these markets, physically. Really? Yes. Huh.
0: So someone from yes. the hospital will go to this market and just like oh, yeah. go to the malaria vendor, the child it, child it, health it, vendor. Exactly, exactly.
1: Uh-huh. And if you if huh. you go into your typical pharmacy or typical hospital, and you look at the shelf of medicines, they would have somewhere in the region of a thousand to probably three thousand SKUs on their shelves, mm-hmm. right? Now you're dealing with distributors that only have 10 to 20. So it means when you go into these markets, you are talking to up to 20, 30 people to get all of this stuff that you need.
0: Wow. That sounds like such a headache. It is a headache.
1: Now, procurement for these pharmacies and hospitals is pretty much a day's event. It's like today is procurement day. I'm going to the market and then I'm just going from store to store, negotiating, buying. That's the way it works at the moment. Wild. Yeah. And in a country like Nigeria, we have over 200 million people. And we only have maybe six of such markets. Really? So what it means is... Chaos. Yeah. So what it means is for people who are... Let's use Lagos as an example. For people who are three, four hours away from Lagos, they have to travel down to Lagos to buy the stock that they need and then travel back. That's what procurement is for these hospitals and pharmacies. Then there's the issue of counterfeits. Yeah,
0: which is big in
1: Nigeria, in Africa. The WHO says 30%. 30% of medicines sold in Africa are counterfeits. That's a huge number.
0: That's terrifying. Can you imagine if you're sick, you're hurting and you're trying, to, you're trying to treat it and instead you get chalk?
1: You get chalk, pretty much. And the chalk will look... Very good. Frankly, if you, if you don't know any better, you will pick the chalk over the original stuff. Packaging, everything, exactly the same. Until you do a lab test before you can tell the difference between this is the original product, this is the counterfeit product. Without that, in most cases, you can't tell the difference. So what would typically happen is your patient will return back to the pharmacy to say, hey, this thing you gave me two days ago, it didn't work for me. And then they would replace it. Yeah. So hopefully. And, and we've gotten used to this. Like, this is how it's been for years. Through
0: his work with Kessington, delivering medicines to pharmacies, Samuel saw again and again the challenges within Nigeria's pharma industry. But business was good with Kessington, things were moving along. Had life unfolded slightly differently? He might still be working on Kessington, but life has its curveballs. And in 2020, Samuel came head to head with the COVID-19 lockdown. The ways in which the lockdown affected Nigeria's pharmaceutical industry would have large ripple effects for Samuel's ventures in the sector.
1: Fast forward to COVID. There was a lockdown in Nigeria. Hospitals and pharmacies were allowed to operate as in other, I think other countries pretty much did the same thing. Healthcare workers and essential workers were allowed to um, to operate. Now, the problem with that was they allowed to operate, they allowed to dispense medicines, but the market where they were buying these medicines was shut down. Oh, interesting! Because it's COVID, you can't allow markets to operate during COVID. Yeah, huh. It only makes sense because people are going to mix. So these markets were shut down, but pharmacies and hospitals were allowed to operate. So it was like a perfect catch-22 situation. How do they get the medicines that they need to sell? One week into lockdown and shelves were empty, pharmacies and hospitals. So it was a a pretty uh, (sighs) precarious situation. Mm -hmm. Now, during the generics medicine business, we would typically sell to these markets and then pharmacies and hospitals buy from them. We were not talking directly to these pharmacies and hospitals. Mm -hmm. But because of this situation that we had, people were finding our um, website, finding my phone number, finding my email address (laughs) and saying, hey, I I, I would typically buy your ciprofloxacin from the market. Mm -hmm. You know the market is shut down. Can you get your ciprofloxacin to my pharmacy? And I'm thinking, because... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because no, the <laughs> we wholesale business, right? Yeah, so interesting. Yeah, typically I would sell five thousand packs of ciprofloxacin to one of these distributors in the market, and then a pharmacy exactly. is calling me to ask for five packs. It's like what <laughs> worth my time. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Within a week, I had gotten maybe seven of such requests. Huh. And at that point, it was pretty clear that, okay, Sam, maybe you should do something about this. So I pretty much <laughs> got the medicines, got into my car, and was going from pharmacy to hospital. Basically, this is during COVID, so it was quite risky. But yeah, going from pharmacy to hospital takes <laughs> more dropping off stock for them.
0: That makes sense. I, th- I think there's a whole subculture, sub- uh, <laughs> submarkets of... We of- mean- Markets that sprung up around COVID, you know, and, and South Africa was the alcohol market <laughs> that was banned, <laughs> but it found its own way somehow.
1: <laughs> True. Uh, now, within about two or three days, I, I, I think those customers were getting spoiled and um, they were saying, hey, we know you were bringing your own medicines to us, like your own branded medicines. Can you bring... Mm-hmm. Other medicines, like I, I, need, I need this medicine from this other manufacturer. Can you get it for me? And again, it was a case of um, huh. hell no. It's like you asking um, Coke to make a delivery for Pepsi. It's just not going to happen. Why should I take someone else's brand and distribute for them? That's hilarious. Yeah. But again, it was a case <laughs> of everyone was asking the same thing at the same time. And huh. it was pretty evident yeah. okay. There's something here.
0: Right. When enough customers ask for the same thing, at some point you realize the business needs to adjust yes. to the market. Exactly. And now it was clear for whatever reason you were able to deliver to these pharmacies in a way that nobody else was meeting their needs. Exactly. And you saw the opportunity there.
1: Exactly. So wow. that was pretty much like the light, the light bulb moment for Remedial. I would say if we knew the mm-hmm. problems, we were just <laughs> not focused on it until COVID hit. And then we had a bunch of uh, people asking, hey, can you make delivery to the pharmacy? Can you make delivery to the hospital? And that was pretty much the live moment. Like, okay, you know what? Let's do something about this problem.
0: Remedial Health today is tackling the challenge of digitizing Nigeria's pharmacies. It's a technology company covering all the different aspects of pharmacy operations. But perhaps most prominent in its portfolio is the services it provides around digital procurement. Through a smartphone application, pharmacies can place their order for medicines online. And Remedial will handle not only the procurement of those medicines across 100 different suppliers, but also the delivery of those medicines directly to your door. Remedial generates revenue by taking a small cut of transactions made on its platform. Because it handles procurement, warehousing, and distribution, It is effectively both a technology organization and also a drug distribution company. This opens a whole can of worms that Samuel has to deal with, balancing an offering that is both digital and physical.
1: Okay, so I usually say to people, yeah, if I was to come back in another life and I had to pick which business to do, I would definitely not be doing remedial. It? It you know,
0: it's surprising the number of founders that say that. <laughs> it <looks laughs> it's actually a little bit scary. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, in science is 2020, I guess. Um, it's, it's, it looks simple from the outside. Mm. It looks like, yeah, it's a technology company. We are a technology company. Right. We're, we're a pharmaceutical distribution company as well. That is the hard part yeah. of it.
0: Yeah, somebody's gotta get in
1: that car to deliver yes, the stuff. <laughs> and, and move product. Someone has to store yeah. products, right? Someone has to deal with physical customers, like customers staring you in the face. So yeah. it's it's not it's not just tech at the end of the day. So yes, we had to do like a, a sort of uh, I would say a balancing act. Yes, we have tech, which is the underlying technology that we use, but there is the movement of products. How do we get products from these manufacturers to the pharmacy to hospitals in an efficient manner with all the challenges of Nigeria and Africa as a whole, ensuring that your supply chain is 100% authentic and no counterfeit comes into your supply chain? It's difficult, I have to say. And then in in a place like Nigeria, to some extent, in some places, we're also dealing with insecurity. So how do you ensure that not just the movement of goods, but even the driver, the person who is moving this product, can move it in a safe manner? And again, the cost of logistics. How do you ensure that you don't end up spending Pretty much all you make as profit on selling those medicines, you pretty much spend that on logistics.
0: The idea of Modern Day Remedial was born just two years ago in the lockdown of 2020. Today, it's finally getting traction. The team is growing. They've just graduated from the prestigious Y Combinator program earlier this year, and they've raised a million dollars in pre-seed funding. They're tapped into a network of more than 100 pharmaceutical manufacturers and suppliers, including GSK, Pfizer, and AstraZeneca. And they're expanding their growth trajectory to include not just the hundreds of pharmacies they've already covered, but also the informal medicine vendors, but also the neighborhood pharmacies and medicine vendors who don't have a trained pharmacist on staff, but make up an even larger part of the mechanism by which low-income communities access medicines. As I do, I wrapped up this conversation with Samuel by diving into our rapid fire questions. The first question was, what guidance do you have for donors or investors that want to support the kind of work Remedial is doing?
1: So currently we're in a downturn. I would say for investors, just remain kind to founders. It's tough out there, especially raising during a downturn. So just be human. If, if you're not going to take it, then yeah, let them know you're not going to take it. But well, yeah, doing stuff like ghosting, for example, nah, that, that that's bad behavior. For for founders, I would pretty much say dig in. Try and build a profitable business as quickly as you can. Profitable is the key word. Markets go up and down. You want to ensure that you are still in the game when it's going up.
0: Yes. Exactly. Advice. If you could take a step back in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Be patient. <laughs> Clearly. Learn to learn
1: Clearly. <laughs> For yeah, sure. It's much the hard way. So yeah. and I would say it probably taught me a bit of patience. Like you've made all the investments. It's not in your control anymore. Just wait.
0: I hear you. Would you like to offer a shout out to someone who has inspired or guided your work? Quite
1: a few people that have inspired and guided <laughs> my work.
0: Just one. The first one that comes to mind. It doesn't have to be scientific. No one's going to judge I you. I pick
1: one person <laughs> that keeps inspiring me every day. That would be Elon Musk for me.
0: <laughs> nice. I
1: aspire to that level of efficiency and being able to build multiple massive businesses at once and pretty much be CEO of all of them, that that would be mental. I don't know how he does it.
0: I don't know either. That man is a machine. (laughs) I think he's already a cyborg. I think he's already crossed that path somehow, because that's
1: the only way I... At this point, I I would be shocked if he's not. I I would be shocked (laughs) if he's not.
0: Yeah. Life hack. what's one habit you've adopted in your life to keep yourself effective, productive, or motivated?
1: Just do it. Just go for it. It's the night slogan, yeah. Whatever I think of or I want to do, try and get it done immediately. Like, get it out of the way. You procrastinate and then it adds up. And then before you know it, you end up with a long to-do list.
0: Yeah, I hear you. Last question, Sam. Just for fun, if you could recommend a book, a blog, or a podcast that you've enjoyed in your personal time?
1: I would say podcasts. So I'm always listening to different kinds. There's SAS Pirates, that's S-A-A-S Pirates. It's like uh, they talk to entrepreneurs who, uh, in some cases, bootstrapped. But yeah, it's usually nice to, to, to learn about um, the challenges they're facing and how they're able to, to overcome, in most cases, without investor money. Awesome.
0: Sam, for people listening to this podcast that want to learn more about you or about Remedial Health, what's the best way for them to do so?
1: So about me, I'm on LinkedIn, Samuel Okwada. Mm-hmm. I'm on Twitter, Samville. That's S-A-M-V-I-L-L-E. Remedial Health is also on LinkedIn and we're at remedial.health. That's our website. So yeah, you can check us out on any of this. And I can still be reached via email, sam at remedial.health. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sam, for your time today. Thank you, Rowena. Thanks for having me.
0: Getting essential medicines to people is one of the most compelling problems we work on in the aid sector. After all, what's going to be more meaningful than getting people the medicines they need to feel better when they're sick? At the same time, It's so politicized, there's so much capital involved, so many stakeholders at the table, that it's a tough area to work in. And you can see that in Samuel's experience. First, how he needed to finance a warehouse in order to get the license, and then had to wait for two years, two years, for the license to come through. Few people would have the patience for that kind of a business. Can you imagine? And that slog doesn't stop. Even after they got the licensing for the first set of commodities, they need to go through this relicensing process every time a new type of product requires it or when the legislation changes. This kind of work requires a really funny balance of urgent optimism alongside incredibly patient risk management. And it's a unique kind of organization, a unique kind of team that can pull those two things off at the same time. Anyways, something to think about for those of you working or thinking about working in the health product distribution space. Also, sidebar, if you are working in innovations in product distribution, check out innovationsinafrica.com for a really transformative funding opportunity that closes August 14th. Hope you enjoyed the show today. If there's any interesting tidbits from this interview or questions that you have in your mind, let me know on LinkedIn or Twitter at Evolved, And join us again in two weeks when we chat with Vilgro Africa, the largest health tech accelerator in sub-Saharan Africa that focuses exclusively on building out the next generation of innovations in health tech. Its founder, Robert, has some pretty fascinating ideas about some of the untapped and future opportunities that exist in this space. We'll see you soon.